0: Welcome to the Travelers Blueprint. Start designing your next
1: adventure. Welcome everybody to the Travelers Blueprint podcast. Today we have a very fun conversation on uh, the guide to picking a tour company. Now I know not all of you are are in own a tour company. Uh, some do, some don't, and we're going to break that down. Um, but these travel roundtables are always a fun time, and we're looking forward to it. Uh, Very briefly, before we get started, if you're listening to this conversation and you yourself are involved in the travel community in some way and want to join us for a future discussion, you can do so by emailing us at travelersblueprint at gmail.com and just send us your name, your website, and information on what you do and some topics to help us find a place for you for a future discussion. Now, a word from our sponsors.
0: Support for the Traveler's Blueprint is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. Enjoy 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code TTB at manscaped.com.
1: Do not travel to the Netherlands or anywhere for that matter with untamed nether regions. Elliot and I do not, and we bring this with us on our trips. On the Traveler's Blueprint, we promote concise travel planning, and part of that planning is making sure you pack appropriately. The Lawnmower 4.0 is lightweight, has a travel lock, a light for close shaving, and a battery length that will last long into your trips.
0: You got it. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TTB at manscaped.com.
1: Your balls will thank thank you. you. (laughs) Okay. And so really excited today. Before we actually get into the conversation, we will go around and tell everybody where we're located, how we're involved within the travel community, and then where people can find your content. Um, Caroline, because you're unique here in the group, why don't you explain uh, where you are, what you do, and where people can find your stuff?
2: Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, My name is Caroline Maley. I'm an experienced strategist, so... I work with CEOs and business owners and really help them improve the experiences that they offer. And I focus specifically on in-person experience, which right now is a bit counterintuitive as everyone is focusing on the digital experience. I'm sticking strong to my love and my background and my expertise and focusing on the in-person experiences. Uh, I am currently on the Greek island of Paros, uh, but anytime you ask me where I am, it's gonna be a different place. Um, i'm here for a couple more weeks but i have spent the last six months in the greek islands and anyone that's been knows how incredible it is here so
1: yeah not a bad place to be uh javon and jean welcome
3: yes thank you thank you so much for having us uh again it's so nice to be here um advantage international is the name of our company javon harley and jean harley we're uh, both the owners, husband and wife, as you could probably see, we're here in Chicago, uh, in the United States. And uh, we offer upscale travel programs for the African-American traveler and have been doing so for 23 years
4: and
1: counting. Nice, nice, yeah. And Eva.
4: Yes, hi, I'm Eva Westerling. Um, I'm currently in Morocco, I'm originally German. Uh, I moved here about more than two and a half years ago now Um, and together with my partner I run a travel company Berber Adventure Tours where we offer really adventurous desert hikes uh, through the Sahara with camels self-supported and also I have a travel blog not scared of the jet lag that focuses on Morocco and travel in the Middle East.
1: Yeah. And if you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, you'll know that we were with Eva in Morocco and had an incredible time traveling around and staying in the Sahara desert. So, and if you haven't listened to it, check it out. Um, all right, let's, let's jump into it. So the purpose of this conversation is to help listeners help travelers figure out which company they should choose, find the right fit, uh, and make sure that when they pick a tour company, they know what they're getting. Um, I think maybe before, you know, I'm I'm trying to now think of it as someone booking a trip um, and jumping in and taking that first step of Googling who I'm going to use and how. And I guess, you know, obviously you you should pick the destination unless you really just want to go for it. But um, I think maybe we can start this conversation by pretending to identify as the traveler and maybe what steps would they take Initially, should should there be certain parameters that they should establish, and if there are, what which, which should they be right off the bat? And anybody can jump in, feel free.
4: Okay, so I'm usually a solo traveler. I rarely go on group tours, but I have in the past a few times. Sometimes kind of let's call it successfully, and other times not so much. Um, and what I normally look for is for one group size, because I really hate big group tours. Like and by big i mean bigger than 12 people that's already too much for me um so i'm quite happy in like with 4 to 8 people i guess plus the team that is always around us um and also age range because i'm not a party traveler like i do not want to get drunk every night and stay out late and whatever um so those are probably my main things I check out first before getting into like what sites are visited, what's the kind of trip, um, is there lots of cultural or more natural stuff to see, and how much time would I have for myself? Because, let's be real, as mostly solo traveller, that's really important for me when I go on a group tour to have a the afternoon off for exploring or just relaxing by myself.
5: Right, yeah. That's... Go ahead. Gene. That's very interesting because actually that's similar to I think all of us would state the demographic of the company and who they represent and who's going to be on the trip is extremely important. So if you're a single traveler, a mature traveler, a younger traveler, a person who likes to hike and, and be out there and have adventure versus a person who's looking for luxury. These are the important aspects you're looking for. For everybody who wants to be in a small group, there's somebody who's looking for the convenience and comfort of being with a larger group, 20, 40, 60, especially if you are older and you're going to a new destination. So I think the demographic is good. Matching your age, your gender, the activities you like to do, these are the things that are most important, even sometimes more important than the destination.
1: That's that's really interesting. Can we talk about group size? Um, Because I know that there's preference. Some people prefer, as as Eva, you said, smaller, but then there are larger groups offered. Can we sort of list out the pros and cons for people who are undecided?
3: I, I think that, uh, yes, as, as uh, she said that she's a, typically a solo traveler. So a large size group is definitely going to be something that's going to be a big turnoff. But again, I think if you're looking at what the activities are and the overall purpose and goal of, of the trip, I mean, sometimes it's it's a destination that is just about that party environment. And so when that's the case, you want large numbers because you, you're having a lot of fun and you want to interact with a lot of people. Sometimes there are um, organizations where their sole purpose is to meet other people. Uh, maybe it's, it's a, a mingles or a, a singles kind of, of program. If there's a lot of activity, I think a lot of movement at a destination, let's say a day-to-day program where you're visiting multiple cities, then you may want to consider a smaller group so that logistically the group can move around easier.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good point because I've done both. I've been with a group of 30 um, and but I was younger. And there was a lot of drinking and then now now that i'm older i very much prefer the focus to be more on the actual experience in at the destination rather than the socializing i guess and so that's something i get interesting to consider yeah uh, i've
0: been i've been on both types of group tours so i've taken a few more of like a service learning trip where it's been 10 people going to costa rica and staying on a farm but i've also done a bus tour with about 30 people through Southern Ireland, and on that one, my wife and I were the two youngest people (laughs) and they're definitely, each trip was vastly different and had its own experience and feel to it. And I think John and Jean kind of summed it up. It's really up to what you want. So yeah, obviously there are pros and cons, but you're going to figure out what you want through the understanding that the smaller groups are going to be more intimate, intimate, the larger groups are going to be more social.
4: But it's also really important to check what small group really means, because mm-hmm. I've actually looked at group tours where they said small groups and it was like 20 to 25 people. And I was oh, like, wow, what? like that's not for me. That's definitely not a small group. So don't rely on the words. Actually check the numbers to mm-hmm. make sure it's what you have in mind. Curious. You're absolutely
3: right about that, because for us, for our company, 30 is a small group. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> wow. Uh, Javon, what is the largest group you offer?
3: Oh, well, um, again, if we're talking about like the Island Jam series that we did, we had several hotel buyouts. So we had thousands of people, um, but we've done a South okay. Africa program with a syndicated radio program that was uh, 150 people, and we've had a lot of movement. But what we did is because of our experience, we broke the group down. And so everything was really focused on a bus rotation so that um, it didn't seem like when we were touring that it was 150 people. You only seemed like you were traveling with those 30 people. But at night, when we had our dinners and our parties, then the whole group came together.
0: Okay. Caroline, one thing I'll add your, on that yeah.
2: is, uh, is um when we're looking at experiences and creating experiences or being on the receiving end of experiences, one of the elements that is really stand out in how you choose and how you create is a sense of belonging or connection, right? So if you're the traveler, you're looking to go somewhere or do something whether it's consciously or subconsciously, you are desiring a moment of connection in your trip. So in a case where there is a large number of people, maybe that sense of connection that you're looking for is community, right? You want to be surrounded by lots of people. You want to be able to not necessarily go deep with anyone, but just have this overall sense of camaraderie. And you're all doing this together and having this trip of your lifetime. When you're looking at the smaller group size, maybe you do really want to get to know people in depth. That's why retreats work really well, right? Because, you're with someone for an extended period of time, usually retreats are very, very small numbers. And usually the topics are, you know, all the way from developmental to exploration to adventurous. And so I think whether we're creating or whether we're the uh, the traveler ourselves, having that idea of what is the connection element that we are trying to facilitate here or that we really want to, that we really desire to really explore in this experience. And I think if you're able to answer that question as the traveler or as the someone creating the tour, then you're already at a head start because you already have now put yourself in in the mindset of okay, this is intimate, or this is more about a bigger, larger scale community type feel. So that would be a question that I would ask as a traveler or as a as a tour company as well.
1: All right, yeah, good point. And this I think this allows us to roll into I guess the next topic, which would be the goal. Like you know, what is your goal uh, and, and for your for your trip and. In in all of your opinions, what are the different types of goals? Like, how can that be broken down? Uh, What should people be seeking with these trips? Or what do people tend to seek? And then where could they take their their dive deeper as they Google this?
4: Well, for my company, I guess it would be the once in a lifetime extreme kind of experience. Like, not everybody wants to do this. I get that. I guess our market is kind of niche on both sides. so what yeah, that's what our goal I guess is to provide a really unique experience with a dive into the culture, um, get the people into contact with locals so they learn something also. Um and yeah, take take a piece of it home forever, you know, so they can remember the desert for the rest of their lives. And I mean, then we have smaller goals, like be as sustainable as possible, give back to the community, all these I'm not sure if you would call them goals. They're goals for me because that's really important to me. Um, but that's not so much, I guess, part interesting, interesting for the traveler, but not uh, like maybe not so important.
3: Yeah. I think for the traveler, what I would recommend is to develop a questionnaire for yourself and kind of assess the programs that you've done before, what you liked about them, what you didn't like about them, what things were satisfying to you. Um, and, and what are you looking to gain out of that uh, trip that you, an itinerary that you're planning? Is it something that uh, is, is a retreat that you want to do? you want to challenge yourself? Do you want a cultural experience? Um, what takeaways do you want? Uh, because sometimes when you look at a destination, you know, the destination has its offerings. And sometimes we go specifically for those offerings at the destination, but sometimes we're going because we want to get away and we want sort of uh, immersive experiences. And so those are the questions I think you have to ask yourself. What did I do in the past? What am I really looking to get out of the the trip? Um, and, And what's going to be important to me? And I think even more importantly, What was it I didn't like about some of the things I've done before and try to avoid those? Hmm.
0: I think it's really interesting, the the breakdown of our experiences here, because Eva, your tour company is really focused in Morocco and the Middle East, whereas Javon and Jean, your company doesn't necessarily have a set destination. You're more so preparing travelers for any destination and have that wide range of flexibility. And Caroline, you help folks like Eva and Javon and Jean create those immersive experiences. <laughs> so I think this is a, a really great panel that Bob has put together for us because you have basically every piece of the puzzle that a traveler would want to develop, a, I I guess a, understand the parameters of picking a tour company.
2: Well, and I think now, you know, post-2020, right? There's many different questions that we're asking as travelers. You know, I travel full-time pretty much. And the questions are so different now, you know, Uh, do I wanna be surrounded by a whole bunch of people? Do I want something a little bit more remote? Do I want to, I most likely probably want to have a very good relationship and connection with the people that I'm interacting with, whether it's a tour company, a hotel, et cetera, to make sure that I know what I'm going into. Whereas before we may have just been a little bit more blase about it and, and kind of gone with the flow. But, you know, last year, I think taught us that there there's different questions now that, that travelers are asking themselves is it a once in a a year trip or, you know, there is a trend right now. I know I read a study recently, I think last week about the UK with like the people that they polled, majority are planning at least two trips, you know, in 2022. So it's a really interesting time to like start asking different questions to maybe what we have taken for granted in the past, I would say. Mm
0: -hmm. I think that's a really interesting point because I can tell you for certain that Bob and I, asked ourselves that question when we were planning our trip for this year because we were throwing around many ideas. One of them was New Zealand, which obviously we weren't going to be able to travel to. The other was a potential trip to Oaxaca for Dia de los Muertos. And that was, all right, well, do we want to, is it smart to be surrounded by a huge festival in the middle of a pandemic? Probably not. And that's where we ended up with in conversations with Eva because it is a very small group we are outside almost all of the time and it is in the desert which is very dry and not very friendly to viruses so <laughs> not a lot of people out there or either. a lot of people yeah sure. <laughs> yeah
2: well and also i think there's a trend for for travelers to want to support smaller businesses you know mm-hmm. i everywhere i go i definitely don't go to the regular places or, or, and I try to support, even for example, here, you know, there's a small supermarket around the corner from me here. And it's like way more expensive than the supermarket that would take me 20 minutes to walk to, but I choose to, to support this guy because he's here for the whole, for the whole year. And it's very seasonal here. And so I think coming out of last year, a lot of people want to support those smaller businesses because especially in travel, they are the ones that were most highly affected yet at the same time, they are the ones that consistently provide incredible experiences. So I think I that's a huge that. focus as well right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that that Absolutely. market is shifting, not just in travel, but overall right? we've seen, we've seen the big box stores, at least in the United States. And that, sh- I mean, malls are starting to close across the country because people are going back to these local smaller stores and you even see that with beer. I mean, up until the early 2000s, there was like six ty- types of beer, and now we have craft brewers and microbrewers everywhere, and it doesn't even feel like it's hit saturation.
1: Yeah, I think that's that speaks to people's want for unique and <clears throat> diversity uh, and options, and and yeah, more attention to the craft and to the experience. Right? They don't want the manufactured. Uh, assembly line experience anymore. They want something deeper and more meaningful. That's That seems to be the trend. I agree.
4: Absolutely. I never so thought Bob we could connect talk- travel with beer in this way, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're German, also you know Bob about.
5: as you guys were talking about uh, on experiences, you want to give them something that creates a memory. So what Eva does is <laughs> what Caroline does, that's our whole aspect of her company. We have people who have traveled with us and they've gone to Switzerland with us. And then they're talking about, wow, what did you like best? The Charlie Chaplin museum, taking pictures <laughs> there. I mean, most people don't even think about or know there is a such thing at his home there in Switzerland. Uh, we did a program in United Arab Emirates and a lot of people balked at it, but they wrote down, it was their most important best time at the Falcon hospital. Mm. So they can see rehabilitation of and training of Falcons. Most of them didn't even know Falconry was a thing. But they loved it and it was became the biggest thing because usually when you travel, the biggest thing you get is you'll go to the desert and you'll see somebody do a falcon demonstration. But have you ever visited a falcon hospital? I have picture after picture of everyone smiling and posting about that. That was the biggest part of it for that trip. It's an experience, it's the memory.
1: Yeah, is it? do you as tour company operators look to throw in those surprises, I guess, uh, you know, catch <laughs> That's people ex- off guard. It,
3: it's exactly, uh, it's exactly what we we do. And uh, we don't, ex- we don't express those, those experiences. We let them unfold in front of the, the traveler. And uh, so they don't know that these things are going to be a part of their itinerary until they get there and it, and it happens. So not only is it a surprise, but it's a pleasant surprise and, You know, again, typically it's the thing that people talk about the most. Um, Not that they finally got to see this this iconic attraction uh, that they've been waiting their whole life to see. They see it and they're grateful for it. But it's those immersive experiences.
5: Yeah, I mean, having lunch uh, sumo style at a sumo training center in Japan, or a drumming session in Tokyo. These are things that probably even if they noticed it on the itinerary, because we do a full itinerary, we'll talk about that later, it becomes something that they didn't recognize. The average African-American thinking they have all this rhythm and then they've got this little Japanese woman who weighs 80 pounds is beating their butts in a drumming session uh, and teaching it. And it's a one-on-one opportunity or cooking classes, which are done but done in small elements in Italy or in Greece where you sit down and there's five or six of you and you're learning how to make pasta or you're learning how to make a dish that is totally related to that region. And it's, it's the kind of opportunities we, we develop for each of our programs.
1: Yeah, sounds incredible. I, I can I think, speak. Yeah, go ahead, Bob. I was gonna say, you know, um, staying in line with this surprise thing and, and being caught off guard I just experienced that in Rome where I went and I've planned on seeing the Colosseum for like, this feels like my entire life. And I knew everything there is to know about it. And I've, I've watched videos and I read about it and I was fascinated with, with the history of the gladiator and all that stuff. And then I got there and I saw it so many times and I knew so much about it that the woman who was our tour guide, like she didn't, she didn't tell me anything new and even walking through it, it was amazing, but I I didn't get hit with that wow factor that I was anticipating. And I was a a little let down, I guess you could say in a way. Um, And then as I moved through my trip, there were other aspects of the city that I I didn't spend nearly as much time researching. And when I got there, I was blown away. I wasn't wasn't anticipating to be so um, fascinated with different aspects of the city because all I focused on was like ancient Rome. And so Um, yeah, that, that really can play a big role and getting caught off guard and enjoying that spontaneity. Well, I guess it's not spontaneity if you're planning it out with your trips, but uh,
3: (laughs) it's organized. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah,
1: but it's really, it's really powerful stuff because I left Rome with, with knowledge and insight that I did not realize I was going to get. And that made it more meaningful to me. I think, yeah, this- I think
5: Rome is a good example because it's three to 4,000 years of transition and it takes care of everything from ancient Rome to the classical Rome to religious Rome and everything like that. So, next time, go to the underground of the Colosseum. Mm-hmm.
1: I did actually. I did.
5: There you go.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I scour that (laughs) building. I think this is a good a
0: good point because one of the topics we wanted to cover is how much detail do you provide in your itineraries pre-trip and in your descriptions of each activity? Because you do want some you want to give the the person experiencing the trip an idea of what they're gonna be getting into, but you also don't want to, like in Bob's case, tell them everything there is that they're gonna Mm -hmm. potentially learn about. So where is that line that you draw?
3: Well, I think logistically, we're gonna provide the day-to-day itinerary because people overall wanna know what they're going to do and what they're going to see, and if it's going to include some of the things they wanted to see. And that could be the reason that they're signing up to go with you or to go with your program. But it's those little things that we think that are either off the beaten path or things that we just know they wouldn't think to do on their own that we will include that we don't put in the itinerary. We may just list it as another activity or it's incorporated into the day of activities that we're going to do. Um, And and it it is kind of, uh, and and I think, you know one of the questions poses like, what's that secret sauce? And you don't really want to reveal that but I think the secret sauce is not just about those surprises. I think it's also just about you and how you, you do things. So that's why some people go with the same tour company year after year after year, because they know how they're going to execute their program. And they know that there's always gonna be those surprises.
4: Okay. I think Everest, I will add a- to- <laughs> you want to go first go ahead go ahead okay so for us it's a bit different because um if we go for like a our let's call them standard five-day hikes we cannot really say where we will sleep because it might depend on the weather like if the wind changes we might find a different camping spot um just to be a bit more protected and uh if it rains we might have to co- choose a completely different route because there might be water in the way we cannot pass so um we, in our itineraries, it focuses more on what you will experience, like the areas we'll hike through and what we'll do, like we'll find some wells and pull up water. Um, I don't know, we'll collect rocks on the way or, <laughs> and bake bread in the sand, you know, but it doesn't matter where we do it and if we do it on day one or day five. So, um, yeah, I, you know, it's, for us, it's really tricky to to really say what, what will happen. But um
0: so your itineraries I, are more so based on, you, you have a set range and duration, but the, yeah. way, the way things fall into place there, it may not be the same location or the same
1: time every trip. Exactly. Yeah. The focus is purely on the adventure aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And, Karen, yeah, and than... actually that
4: makes part of the adventure that we yeah. cannot really tell for sure where we'll sleep tonight. So.
1: Sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. Carly, what were you going to add?
2: I was gonna add that looking at itineraries, like obviously to both of the points, sometimes you need to be highly logistical. Sometimes you need to provide that level of safety and trust, right? Um, so you're not just shipping people off somewhere and good luck guys. (laughs) But one element that I think is highly important and good tour companies do this very well is in the storytelling, right? If you think about the goals of the travelers coming on, they want to experience something and depending on the location, like we've already discussed, it could be very different. And the example that I give, will give is a Cirque du Soleil show. I worked on tour for Cirque du Soleil for 10 years, right? Cirque Slayer masters that storytelling, some of the best storytellers in the entire world. And when you look at the show, how they promote the show, they, if you're looking at it visually, they capture the main crazy acts that people like want to see the wheel of death, like these high death defying things. They include that in the advertising because it's part of the story and part of ticking the list of people oh I want to see that act I want to see that act but if you if anyone goes on their website right now or if you are having your hands the program it never tells every detail of the story right because it is part of the magic of what you're trying to create for the people that are coming on your trip let's say for example it's the storytelling and I think people that aren't able to get the guests come or, or, travelers that get deterred when they go on the website. A lot of that is just the storytelling. Like you want to bring people into your world, invite them into your world, cover the basis. But then once they're booked, leave them thinking, oh, oh my gosh, like I don't even, I still don't know what to expect. And I'm so excited about it. And I trust this company fully because of how they have the relationship that we've built together, but they have told the most incredible story that, that I'm all in. And so, I don't know, I would assume that that would be a goal of a, of a tour a company as well. But I think storytelling is very, very, very key. And if you can do it very well, you can have the most um, basic itinerary or the most detailed itinerary, and you're still going to capture the travelers because of the story you tell.
5: And I think Caroline's point is, is so valid in there. And by the way, I will say that I probably have a most extensive set of Cirque du Soleil ties from every production <laughs> going back to the 1980s on the mall in Washington, D.C. We'll uh, have to chat afterwards
2: said, then. <laughs> you know, and
5: I love them all. That being said, the uh, corporate, the meeting and incentive ones, they count everything from the time you get up to the time you're going to have me back to go to bed, the number of meals, what's going to be included on the menu. When we're dealing with that type of client as a tour operator or somebody designing programs, they want it spelled out extensively and all the elements need to be there. It's actually less of a storytelling for them and more of a detail because they want to make sure they're accomplishing the goals of the reason for the incentive, right down to how we're making sure it's tax deductible. So that becomes an important aspect. But for the rest of us, you're perfectly right. Everybody wants that experience. They want to know those things, but people do still want to know, uh, when am I going to get back And Is all of this included? Because my dream of going to Rome, my dream of going to Dubai, my dream of going to Rio includes seeing and doing all of the following.
1: Very interesting. Let's get into one of the hot topics of uh, booking travel and that's budget. It's on everybody's mind, right? And Uh, there are obviously, there's a huge spectrum for budgeting and how people tend to budget what they can budget. Um, is there though a way that we could broadly discuss budget and maybe tear it out? You know, if I have X amount of dollars for my trip, what should I look for in a tour company? Um, that I guess satisfies my needs? Like, where should I allot my funds? And I don't even really know if this question can be answered without having more details of the budget. But I guess we can play around and see what happens. Maybe someone could take it.
4: Well, I guess the first thing is you have to check if they include flights to get to the destination or not, if they include food and tips or not, because you know you really need to f- figure out how much of the percentage of what you're happy to spend actually goes to that company because um you know a lot of places do include flights um but then th- they tend to be very expensive because flight uh, m- uh, prices change so much they have to have a huge margin of error for that i guess calculated um while you know if you if you look at the more budget prices they probably won't include the flight so the risk is all on you to find a cheap enough flight for you to get there um and then in countries like morocco actually it's really important to tip the guides and the drivers and everyone because they're not paid enough here um really so uh, that's also an issue sometimes like on my first uh, trip to morocco i was really glad that the company sent us um a packing list that also included a tipping guide, like how much should we expect per person mm-hmm. to tip per day for who? So you could calculate that um to make sure you bring enough money and you budget enough for that.
5: Yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I think that um yes, budget is this really broad thing. And yes, you're gonna have somebody with a budget that they have to stick to, but I always say before thinking about your budget is thinking about the value that you're going to get out of the destination or out of the trip that you want to take? What are those things that are important to you? So it's kind of like going backwards. What is it that I want? And now what can I afford to do? Because then you shift where you spend your money. If the hotel is more important than you wanna stay at a five-star hotel, then you know that's gonna take a bigger part of your budget. If the hotel isn't that important, um, then you can lower that to either a four or five star, I mean, a four or three three or four star hotel, and maybe you're gonna put your budget elsewhere. Um, I've done tips like balling on a budget is what I like to call it because you pick those one or two elements that you want to splurge. That's the thing I want to do. I want to have a fantastic time. I'm going to spend $500 for a dinner because that's important to me. Um, And then, so that means other things are going, you're going to have to take things out of, uh, take a budget out of some of the other things that you want to do. So I think it's really important to first think about what type of experience you want to have and then manage your budget to fit that because I think if you do it the other way around, if you're only focusing on the, the budget, you may not get the experience that you want.
0: I think that's a really good point. I can tell you from my experience as a traveler and traveling for the last 15 years, that in my early days, my only budgetary concerns were really the transportation to and from. I didn't really splurge on the destination lodging. I always tried to either couch surf, or split um, an Airbnb or a cheap hostel with someone. And then I would just walk around the city. I didn't spend anything on experiences. It was more so just being able to see the city. And as I've matured in my travel, I realized that you know your transportation costs to and from the destination are essentially somewhat fixed. You're gonna have to spend something to get there. And then you have to choose what you wanna do. So I've actually, I never really wanted to spend all that much money on an experience at the destination. I was like, Oh, $50 for a tour. There's no way I'm doing that. But I realized that I miss out on so much and that $50 is cheaper than a night of going out to the bar in my hometown. And so you really have to put that budget into perspective because it's, it's the same thing as seeing your, your night at the bar compared to trying to eat healthier by going grocery shopping in my eyes. So you can spend that $50 at the bar, but you're not willing to spend that extra 10 cents to get something healthier at the grocery store. Cause it's so tangible and visible and you see that price differential.
2: I think seasons as well is really important, right? Like when you're looking at, okay, what experience do I want to have in this one city? when should I go? If you're, you know, you're looking at how much it's going to cost you, obviously seasons are going to come into it in many destinations, not all destinations, but a lot of destinations where seasons play into it. I'm on the Greek islands right now. It's now November. So it's fine. It's, it's off season, but trying, if I'm thinking about, I want to plan a trip to the Greek islands in August or anywhere in, in the Mediterranean to, to be frank, you know already or at least if you don't know anything about travel this is where a tour company can can help you out in terms of seasonality but you know you're going to pay at least double right Uh, I'm planning a trip right now to well originally it was to to go to the Great Lakes area um, in the UK just up north of Manchester it's an incredibly beautiful area Um, but I was just looking at the prices for the end of the year and it was very, very expensive. So already I made the decision, I'm going to go, but I'm going to choose a different time of the year. So I think that can help very much when you're planning your trip. And if you have traveled before, if if you know something about travel, that's easy to navigate on your own. But if, if you're a kind of fresh, <laughs> if you're a fresh newbie traveler, then these are the kind of questions that you could ask the, the travel company as well. Like, when can I go look when is it a little bit cheaper? Or alternatively, when is the absolute best time to go to the Greek islands? You know, it depends. It's personal, but they're going to have the answers there for you. And it's going to dictate the budget as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's a really good point. And so that's something that I, I look for a lot. My two biggest travel months are May and September. So the beginning of the, before the season starts or right after it ends, and there are pros and cons to that. So uh, when I went to Croatia, we went in September and it was beautiful. It was a little cooler. So we didn't, we weren't able to spend as much time on the beach. The The tours that we did, some of them, we were the only two on the tour because there wasn't as many people. But then the flip side of that was that not as many places were open and we didn't have as many options for tours. So you really need to pay attention to what you want to get out, get out of it. If you're okay with doing potentially a little bit less, but doing it at your own pace or with fewer people the talents are great but if you want to be dead smack in the height of activities then you're going to have to deal with the crowds the additional crowds so yeah the seasons are a big a big one mm-hmm.
3: and, and, and you can also, look at tour elements i'm sorry go ahead eva
4: no 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 you go <laughs>
3: Uh, no, I was going to say, and also looking at those elements, the things that you want to do, I, as you could probably already tell, I'm a big foodie. So food and wine is very <laughs> important to me in my experiences. And so sometimes when there's this fabulous restaurant that I want to go to, but it's so expensive, I'll go for lunch because it's a lot less expensive than if you go at dinner time, and you can still be there and have that same experience or look at some of maybe their tasting menus and things like that, that they may have. So you can look at those different elements, you know, even at museums and things, there are free days that um, some museums offer. So you can still look at the things you want to do, not shortchange yourself, but fit it into your budget.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a good idea. And, I hadn't thought
4: about and that. To, To actually get back to your first point on this topic, uh, Javon, you get what you pay for, right? I mean, you can really (laughs) tell that here in Morocco because, I mean, there is like, I don't know, thousands of companies offering the classical trip into the desert from Marrakesh to the desert and back or going on to fast three days um, with one night in the desert and one night somewhere on the way. And the price ranges from, I don't know, I think on like on uh, get your guide or something you can find those for as little as 80 euros and i know how much it costs to actually organize these things right i know the cost of every piece of transport of everything you do on the way everything so i cannot imagine how many people you need to get together to actually make a profit with that so i have no idea how they how they finance their companies with that um and then you have others where it's more like 350 per person or even more than that and even that's not a private tour yet necessarily so um but in those you will actually get good experiences you will be dropped at good restaurants you will have a nice camp in the desert you know and you will have your little caravan on the camels with maybe eight people and not 35 so it really really depends on what you're looking for and I know so many people that come here that like you said you maybe you shouldn't but have a set budget and they cannot spend more and they still want it all and I'm sure half of those go home and they're disappointed because they didn't it wasn't magical it wasn't what they were thinking but and and you're totally right you shouldn't have a fixed budget. And I gave that up very early on in my travels. <laughs> like, I always prioritize travel and the experiences and the food like you, like I never check prices on a food menu. If I want to eat there, I eat there. Um, but yeah, you totally get what, you, what you're willing to pay for.
5: And if you're looking at a budget and it's important for you, then what Carolyn mentioned, seasonality is extremely important. Bob, you just said it too. We like to go in the fall because fall has a lot of the elements of the warm water. It still may be there. You can still go to the beach in the early fall. September, for example, in Croatia, we were on the beach swimming every day. Uh, the crowds have disappeared. Americans have this tendency to think Memorial Day to Labor Day, and they have actually driven up the prices in places where it has no effect. I have people telling me, why is it so expensive to go to South Africa in July? I want to go, it's the summertime. It's the wintertime there. But it's expensive for the flights because Americans travel during that time of the year, even though the weather is rainy and cold and wet. So with all (laughs) that taken into account, seasonality becomes an important aspect of it. Get out of the summer vacation unless you have to because of your job, your educator, children, whatever like that. Uh, Then basically look at other times and you can still accomplish the same things. It can be as much as 30 to 40% cheaper for everything based on when you go as to where you go to and then look at where you're going certain greek islands as as you can elaborate on are going to be less expensive than some other ones would be even during the high season yeah
3: yeah and i and i would uh, i do want to also say what what eva was saying that i agree wholeheartedly and so if it's really uh, especially a, a trip of a lifetime then look at the trip that you really want and then save and budget for it maybe you have to put it off for another 6 months or 9 months or whatever but get the trip that you want don't mm-hmm. do it in a way that you're you're going to come back with regrets mm-hmm.
4: yes yeah, totally I agree with like that. I actually invited my parents on a holiday to Egypt in 2011 because my father wanted to go for all his life to see the pyramids and everything. And it's what we did. We checked with the travel agency to find the trip we wanted to do. The one that had everything we wanted. Small groups, I don't know, stargazing in the desert, all the special things we wanted. And then, yeah, it took me two years to save up for that, but it was so worth it. It was mm-hmm. absolutely the best thing ever.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that.
0: So a question that I have now is as we're searching and as we've talked about tour guides and what to, what they offer, budget, experiences, what to search for, how do you pick the right one? Like if you say this is the first time you're doing it, you don't have any other tour guides that you've worked with in the past and you want to go to a trip to a destination that you've never been to. How do you find the right person based on reviews after, you know, you've selected and filtered through everything and there's, you know, now 10 different tour companies that offer exactly what you want.
2: I would answer that. uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I would no, answer ahead, that from uh, not a tour company point of view, but going back to that element of connection, if I, to your example, if there was 10 companies there that all had great reviews or good reviews, they all offered the same kind of thing. Um, I would look for reviews that said how incredible the the tour agent was and how there was a issue and they helped and they called they called me before my trip and made sure I had everything I needed and they wished me bon voyage and they checked when I came back. This idea of personalization is so important when we create experiences and for experiences that are quite broad and many people offer it, that is the, that is the thing that's going to make the difference. And as a traveler, that's what I would be looking for. If all of those other elements were there, it would be that personalization with, especially if it was like the person's name or the owner or you know the team. Oh my gosh, this person in the team was incredible, etc. That would win me over above most other things. I would say. Okay. Good to I know, I will tell knows. all my
4: clients to include the names of the people they've been with. No, in it's, the review
2: very good strategy. If it has to be authentic, obviously, but it it's it's so important. Because when we're looking when we're thinking about going on these trips right if we go back to that storytelling element, we want to see ourselves already there right we want to see ourselves already in the experience and that's going to get us closer to actually purchasing or going with that particular company. And so if you're adding all of these personalized details, like this was my driver's name and and he was amazing or she was amazing then you're. You already feel like you're there, right? And it just—it's it, so underestimated, yet so simple to do. So yes, Eva, definitely go ahead and use that. All
5: right. It's also important to when you're looking at the testimonials, whether you're on Tripadvisor or Smart Traveler or any of the different programs that are out there, look at the reviews and analyze it, but then talk to the company, go to their website. We have people call us up all the time. And as I'm describing the trip, they say, you're so knowledgeable of that destination. Oh, I designed it. I'm going to be on there with you. And you answered the phone too? Yes. Uh, And then also, then what's included in my package, not just the elements of the package that are going to be part of the tour, but the package that I get in the mail, the package that I'm getting emailed, look at all the details. And if there's a lot of personalized details, earlier we talked about packing lists, being told what the climate is, things you want to take. We do a pack, light, pack type list. We also talk about currency. We talk about exchanging money. We talk about even dialects and, and the languages that are there. We answer a lot of the questions. And I think that's a detail that you're going to want to look at in the company that you're selecting. And you want to hear those things that Josh did a great job. My driver, who on there was good. We did a, the Croatian program and we love the shop. And if we ever go back, we want to know that same chef is going to be on our ship that we did in a bubble all around the Croatian islands in September of this year. So all those things are important. And then from there, you can differentiate. So if you have 10 companies and the pricing's about the same and the itinerary looks the same. Find out who is an operator that's actually going to be hands-on, that's going to personalize it, that's going to be there with you versus somebody who's just sitting in a country 3,000 miles away and it's going to set it up and you don't know who's going to be there when you off.
3: I I also think you have to know how to decipher uh, reviews, Um, because I know that, for example, TripAdvisor is one that so many people go to, but there's sometimes a sea of reviews. And there's also a question of how authentic are they? And uh, so one of the things that that I do, because I use them, too, um, if I'm charting new territory and I'm even vetting some things for my clients, But I kind of look for the things that come up over and over again, whether it's negative or positive. So if I see that repeated multiple times and I figure, okay, that must be a problem or that must be a real uh, asset for for that company. Uh, because sometimes these one-off things could just be individual experiences, bad or good, that somebody had. Um, and sometimes it's not necessarily the company, but that somebody just didn't like something. And so they are the ones that needed to, to go online and say something right. about it. So I look for, the, I look for a repetition in what those reviews are.
1: Yeah, that's yes, really important, Javon. I, there was a point where I was looking at restaurant reviews and I. And I I do this with most reviews, like I I do exactly what you just said. I, I look for specific things. And I remember a review that was so specific to the moment and to the individual. And it was like they were complaining about there being a birthday party or something that was there while they were there. And that was the source of this one star review. And they didn't talk about the food or really anything else about the experience. It was, you know, a party that was being too loud and it completely ruined everything else for them. And so it's important to go beyond the star rating and, you know, because now that restaurant uh, unfortunately has this one star review, but really when you start to break them down, you realize that, you know, they're not more depth needs to be. uh, Yeah. yeah, Right.
0: And a lot of people will leave one to two star reviews, but not actually have an explanation. And at that point you're like, well, I have no idea why they left that so it's almost an outlier you can't really trust it.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Another point that action.
2: I would <laughs>
5: Go ahead.
2: Oh, go ahead Karen. <laughs> Another point that I would add is also if the tour company If they're travelers themselves, then you're probably going to be in for a good trip, you know, as opposed to, again, I think it was mentioned before, like some random person on a desk somewhere that are just kind of booking all the details. It's like when you go into a bookstore, you go into a bookstore and there's those like staff recommendations and you know that they've read those books. You just know it because of the type of people that work in bookstores. They love books. They love reading, you know, that's the type of people that those kind of jobs attract. Same for traveling. If you book with a company, if you have a couple of options and you book with a company where it's visible on their website who the owners are, you know, they've they probably have a blog with like some trips they've been on or you go on their social media and they're just always out and about and it doesn't have to be anything extravagant, but they're always, they're always exploring, you know? And I think if you are, gosh, if I had the choice to book with like some kind of stock standard trip or you know, a small tour company and they're like living and breathing traveling then I would of course go with them because they're gonna yeah they're gonna ugh, I don't even I mean it's self-explanatory right but mm-hmm. that's what I that's who I would choose yeah and talking uh, about social media that's another place
4: I would actually check for companies I'm interested in going with so first for their social media presence but also who mentions them like who texts them in their uh posts or stories because those are the people that traveled with them maybe even check for blogs that have done reviews although that's that could be a bit biased also because a lot of the time they were invited and paid for coming on the trip so i'm not sure how much how reliable that is really but um at least like photos and stories on instagram or something um, i think are a good indicator of of what the trip looks like and um yeah how happy people were so um and also what i what i kind of like um is like facebook reviews more than uh, TripAdvisor because their people are connected with their whole profile so it's harder to fake those you cannot Mm -hmm. just sign up with a new email address and leave like random reviews good or bad for your competition or your friends um, which I know for a fact is a thing here. So, you know, TripAdvisor really isn't that reliable, as are all those kind of platforms for restaurants or, I don't know, you, you even have those in Germany for hospitals, which is ridiculous because everybody just complains about the bad food. Yeah. <laughs>
1: wow. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there should be a filter uh, option. <laughs> Caroline, I really liked what you said about seeing if the the tour company or who's operating it or who the guide is is also a traveler and again i have an experience with that going to a very popular tour agency office in the united states i had to go to their office location to get uh, my my what is it, my my driving license, my international driving license to to rent a car in Italy. And I went in there as as a traveler, as the host of a travel podcast, super enthusiastic about my travels. And I was just trying to strike up conversations with these workers. And it was very obvious uh, pretty quickly that none of them were travelers and they were just holding this position to help people book tours purely for the paycheck. They just wanted an easy office position, I guess. And they just sat at their desk and they would just go online and whatever was predetermined by the corporation for that destination is what they essentially regurgitated to the to the person that was booking with them and you know I was pretty let down uh because to me like that seems like an awesome job and they really weren't nearly as enthusiastic about travel as i was and i realized that you know i personally would never book anything with them ever um so that was just and, and that was just in and out to kind of get that driver's license to be able to drive in italy so i do i like that point a lot um so I guess to,
0: to sum up the the how to figure out your tour guide, we, we already talked about the things that an individual will look for. They already have their parameters set, which is typically group size, demographics, duration of the trip, and then the type of trip itself, whether that be adventure-related or specific to food or looking at architecture. And then um, we talk about the experiences, actually how to sift through once all of those criteria are met. And so going through reviews and then going through and actually reaching out to the tour company. So I think you guys have all provided great information on how to find a tour company. And I know next time I travel, if Bob's not already planning the trip with me, that I know how to find a tour company. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) So for
0: our hoorah question, we have something in here, but I want to change it up a little bit because uh, I want to ask, what is something that... You as either tour operators or you, Caroline, as an ex- experienced strategist have found, not necessarily on the review side of things, but what feedback can someone that has taken a tour with you or worked with you is most beneficial to you in helping future tours? And Javon well, and Jean, say- why don't we start with you?
5: I would say actually our whole system has evolved from the comments and from people who've traveled with us. We're dealing with a aging demographic, uh, baby boomers and Gen Xers, and they have helped us design things and put together elements that fit them. They, they're, they're looking for comfort. They like five star. We've started doing more things now we're talking about and putting in what business class is uh, because they're asking about those elements. They're asking for upscale hotels. Spa treatments are a real big thing with our demographic. They book them sometimes in advance. So we actually offer that amenity and that program together, but they still want the camaraderie. They still want a little bit of adventure, but they're going to be more into glamping over camping. So that's how we've evolved over the last 22 years as our demographic has aged. And now with uh, information from 2020 going on, we have changed and added a whole lot more things. We're doing more in bubble type programs, some smaller programs called Advantage Elite, where there's not that many people. And we're looking at destinations where they basically can feel safe because they're going to be at or better than the situation in their hometown. So I'm going to IMAX in, in, uh, tomorrow, and I'll be uh, looking at hundreds of destinations that I have meetings with over the next four days. And these are the questions I always ask, and they know if that's us. That's what Advantage is looking for. Okay.
0: Eva.
4: Yeah, good question. So far, we've only received really, really good feedback. So, I mean, that's nice to hear, but it's not really any giving us much to improve <laughs> in, the, in that sense, you know. So, um, of course, we, we make sure that the elements people like, like the personal contact with the local camel guides or the cook or whoever we take along um, are there and that we pick people that are able to communicate in a language that our guests speak to give that connection because that's something everybody emphasizes that they really really enjoyed that so um, it doesn't make sense to bring somebody along who only speaks Tash and you know won't be able to talk to to the guests so um, but yeah I mean constructive criticism I guess is what what makes you grow most (laughs) Mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah
3: Yeah, it's it's really it, it, as Jean said. We we have learned to become very reactive to what uh, people talk about, what they uh, co- communicate to us, what they like the most, um, and and then also because our groups are have been kind of large in the past, we kind of look at those things that some people like. If so, if it's only like ten percent of the people who really love the wine experience then we know maybe that's something that we offer as an option uh, for people to want to do, because if you try to offer it for the entire group, you're not getting the best wine quality that you want. And if it's somebody who is really a wine connoisseur, then they're disappointed with that wine experience. So we've, we've been very reactive in that sense of changing things along the way. And to uh, caroline's point earlier 2020 changed everything and so for 2022 and 2023 rather than us offering uh fewer but bigger trips uh bigger meaning number of people we're offering more but for uh, smaller groups and people are really responding to that so yeah just in really listening to your clients and what they're saying and having those conversations with them
0: Caroline, I want to change it a little bit for you, since I know you don't necessarily work with the, the people traveling and you work with the people helping the traveler. So do you, in your program, find a way to work in how tour companies can get more constructive criticism? I
2: think I would echo. I would echo exactly what's already been said. When I'm working with, uh, you know, whether it's the CEO or the business owner, and we're talking about an experience that they're creating, the first question I ask is, okay, have you asked your people, and keep in mind that people could be anyone, it could be their team, it could be their clients, it could be travelers, their customers. Have you asked them if they want this or what they want out of this experience? And most of the time it's like, uh, well, oh yeah, kind of. And I'm like, no, 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 but have you actually asked them? And I think this is, has been mentioned in, in, in both answers already is that having that deep understanding about what they actually want is going to help you create the experience and be very reactive, be able to change things immediately. And I think that is a step that is so often overlooked because us as kind of business owners, we're very almost fanciful in a way like, oh, okay, we have this, especially if we're travelers ourselves, oh, we have this incredible trip and oh, we wanna create this, but is that actually going to resonate? Is that story going to resonate? So that is always the first step is have you actually asked those those questions? Have you been curious enough to ask really intelligent questions and questions that are gonna get you the answers for, is this experience highly relevant? Is this experience going to tick all those boxes of everything we've discussed today? The goals, you know, what they want to get out of it, the time of year, the budget. Um, And it's about getting extremely curious and asking the questions, whether it's before or after, right? Like follow-up is very important and you can do follow-up in the most genuine and authentic and loving way, especially if you're a, a smaller company. Um, And it, again, is one of those elements that's quite underrated, but very, very powerful if you can actually, if you can actually execute on it.
0: Well said.
1: Yeah. All right. Thank you all for coming on the podcast today. This this has been incredibly informative. And I hope if you're listening to this, you have the tools necessary to book your own trip. However, you do have options in the show notes with some of our guests to book with them. So maybe consider that the work could already be done for you. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so uh, yeah again i want to thank you all for taking the time out of your day to do this great time as always uh all of you have been previous guests again so if you're listening to this you can go back and listen to the episode with each of our guests uh and jean i know yours technically hasn't come out yet but by the time this airs it will have (laughs) it will have been released so uh yeah thank you all for coming on the the driver's Blueprint.
3: thank you so much for having us